Welcome to Travel Stories with your hosts, Trevor Mountcastle and Tom Kim. Episode 5, Christmas Markets. TK, Tom, I'm excited for this episode here. We are talking Christmas markets, and it's the perfect time to be talking about Christmas markets because when this episode finally gets posted, it'll be about a year from when I actually started planning a two-week Christmas market trip that we'll talk about this episode. Well, I mean, I guess it'll be a great time to actually like plan for a Christmas market trip, right? Because like it's right when, you know, some of the award availability will start opening up for Christmas. And the hotel availability too. You know, we often forget about award availability for some hotels because hotels can be a dime a dozen. But if you want a specific hotel, when you're talking about the holiday season, you need to start really early, right when those hotels open their schedule. Yeah. So you've got a real passion for this, don't you? You really like Christmas markets. You know, I do. We've only been to Europe for Christmas markets three times. First time, we just happened to be able to just add the stop for the Christmas markets when we were taking my mother-in-law and my wife, my mother-in-law and I were traveling around the world. We did some time in Asia and we wanted to do around the world. And so we were able to bake in a stop in Frankfurt and we went to the Mines Christmas markets, actually because of the recommendation from Seth Miller over at Wandering Aramaean. And we were just sold. So much so that I think the following year or maybe a year later, I took my brother and my father to those same Christmas markets. And then, you know, we ended up getting closer and closer to the pandemic. So we just couldn't get a bigger Christmas market trip in. So this year was many years in the making. You're making up for a lost time, huh? This is like a Christmas revenge markets. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go so far as the revenge markets, but it turned from a Christmas market trip to a bucket list Christmas trip. Mm. So, I mean... It feels like revenge travel. Like, so exactly how many times have you been to Europe this year? Oh, okay. I guess we are going to talk about that. Let's see. I think this was the seventh or eighth transatlantic, the eighth, in fact, that I did in 2022. And the funny part is, is our daughter who on this trip crossed the 14 month mark, she had been on seven of those transatlantic round trips. So a lot of family trips to Europe. It's just a really great, in my experience, a really great destination, a great continent for family travel with a young one in a stroller. You know, we talked last episode about me joining the Navy. It sounds like you're wanting to get some EU residency or something. If only. (laughs) (laughs) So I know this was an epic trip. Can you kind of quantify it for people? Do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about what kind of point redemptions were involved in this epic Christmas market trip? Yeah. So by the numbers, so to speak, we ended up spending, I want to say it was around 1.4, 1.5 million miles. I was not points efficient. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but just by the numbers down, you know, at that next level, we ended up booking round trip two one ways, but essentially round trip on aeroplan over the Atlantic. We had booked, I want to say like a year ago, the flights based on, ironically enough, from our travel tips episode, Spencer's straight to the point premium award newsletter or award alerts, he happened to find plentiful Christmas week availability from Prague via Vienna back to Dulles, Washington, DC. So we booked that like a year ago. And then like 20 days out, we ended up booking Aeroplan Award on United into London. We took the Eurostar. That was actually cash. That was a little bit painful because it was close in booking. And then as far as getting around, so we did four countries. We did uh, four countries slash cities, Paris, France, Berlin, Germany, Vienna, Austria, 
and then Prague, Czech, Czech Republic, or Czechia, as they, they call it there. And so getting from Paris to Berlin onward to Vienna, we ended up burning 102,750 United miles because, again, we were booking this really close in on the intra-Europe flights and traveling with my mother-in-law. This was for three adults and one infant. Traveling with my mother-in-law, she needed a wheelchair. We wanted to make sure that we had enough time at the airports and I wanted a little extra comfort. So we wanted the lounge access, which we had for the Paris to Munich to Berlin. And we didn't end up having that from Berlin to Vienna because it was a nonstop. But that was a bunch of points, not the most efficient approach. You know, I was going to say, I think this kind of continues on the theme that we've actually said, I think maybe even since episode one, actually, where, you know, kind of in this world, this post-pandemic world with like traveling, it's getting really hard to kind of do that last minute award and have good stuff pop up. I mean, I think I feel this sounds strangely familiar doing our travel planning from Manila, where, you know, I think we'd kind of got in that habit of it's something will pop up, something good will be available and we can just grab it. You know, it's so true. And I was tracking one particular flight. There was a Dulles, Washington, D.C., to Munich flight that had J9 all the way up until like the day before or maybe even the morning of. And they did not release any award availability that at least I could find. For so, our fair bucket, you know, illiterate folks, J9 means that there were nine seats available in business class. But I guess then again, most of the people listening probably know that. <laughs> no, no, no. And that's great that you clarified that. Yeah. So the way that fair buckets work, J is the full fair business, which would be the largest amount of seats that would be available, right? So like if- Yeah, the maximum way that they, the system would track the number of business seats, right? The maximum amount of inventory. Exactly. And that doesn't indicate that there were only nine seats. That fair bucket tracker on Expert Flyer only goes up to nine. And in fact, some airlines, it's in the weeds, but some airlines won't even go up to nine. Some stop at, I think, seven. Like, Well, there are definitely not too many first class nine. You know, there, there are lots of airlines that have only less than nine seats in first class. So anyway. There you go. Thank you. So to sort of finish the by the numbers, hotel-wise, we ended up spending three nights at Park Hyatt's, four nights at a Grand Hyatt, three nights at Nanda's, and three nights in a Hilton. Every one of those was on points with a little bit of an asterisk on the Andas, which we can talk about when we get to Vienna. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of nice hotel visits. I dare say, I think you did some Vendoming. We did. Yeah. So so <laughs> we didn't really love the idea of spending time in London and we just couldn't find any flights out. I suspect because it was within a week of this threatened border control or border folks threatening to strike right around Christmas in London at the airports. So we ended up kludging away to get out of London as quickly as we could. And so we landed that morning and that afternoon we were on the Eurostar down to Gare du Nord in Paris and we completely splurged. I mean, there is just no way to sugarcoat this. 35,000 points a night for two rooms, 140,000 ultimate rewards points. I shed a couple of tears, but it was an absolute right call. Absolute right call. The location is fantastic for the Paris Vendôme. And in Paris, we ended up visiting five different Christmas markets just in essentially having one full day. And then the night we got there, we were able to grab a little bit of food at one of the closer markets. Who knew there's so many Christmas markets in Paris? Oh, there were even more. We just didn't want to take mass transit. So we ended up walking all the way over to Notre Dame. And there were like two or three that way. And then we did take a taxi over to the Eiffel Tower. And we ended up going to two others there. And then there's one right over by the Vendome, kind of in this park, that if you go all the way to the other end of the park, you're at the Louvre. Hmm. So it looks like one of the things that were particularly interesting about the Christmas market was some of the food. It looks like 
there was a particular sandwich that was very tasty? Yeah. So in France, they had the, probably not going to pronounce it perfectly, but the raclette sandwich, which, you know, essentially what they have is, is they have these halves of cheese. I, I assume it's raclette cheese. And they put these little heater, thermal heaters on them and heat up that cheese and then kind of let it pour onto a nice baguette. And that's kind of a nice, you know, oh, that warm does sound version. Good. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm sorry, my friend. You're going to be hungry after this episode. Oh, geez. <laughs> I haven't had dinner yet, man. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So you have the raclette that's a fantastic, fantastic option. Most of these have uh, crepes. I'm trying to think of some of the other so, nice I, but options. But I think I think raclette sandwiches are usually Swiss, though, aren't they? Or actually, that's the kind of cheese, isn't it? It's kind of like from Switzerland or something, right? I think so, but it it seemed like it was a staple. I don't know that I'd say it was a staple at every Christmas market we went to, but it was a fairly common mm. staple that we saw. I think the baguette is the Paris part because I think typically with like raclette cheese, at least that I have seen, not, not that I pretend to be a raclette expert or anything, but at least what I had once before in Europe, I think they had it over like potatoes or something instead of like on a sandwich. Yeah. And they did have some other differences or other, other entrees that, you know, a lot of potatoes you saw in France. We didn't try too many different things. There was kind of a potato and ham dish that worked out pretty nicely. We got at the, probably our favorite Christmas market in Paris, which was, I think translating it, it was the Swiss place. Ah. It was within view of the Eiffel Tower and right by the aquarium. And it was a fairly small market, but they actually had seating area. They even had a kind of a restaurant if you wanted to like, you know, have table service and then just the general kind of standing tables as well. And it was fairly enclosed and it had a much calmer vibe, especially on a Saturday night. The biggest market is that one over in that park closest to the Vendome, and you could barely walk around. I mean, you felt a little awkward with your large, and I can't remember what they call it in France, but essentially your mulled wine, because people are knocking into you and you're like, yeah, I really don't want to have this mulled wine, you know, all over my hand, all over yourself. The vin chaud is, I think, what they call it in France. Oh, that's what that is. That's a kind of like a French mulled wine, huh? It is. Yeah. And then my wife and mother-in-law were loving the chocolate shod, which is essentially hot chocolate. Ah. You can add things to it, you know, add a shot of something if you want. Definitely a really nice way to enjoy an otherwise pretty cold evening. I'm seeing it typed out and I guess it's like wine hot and chocolate hot is, is basically what you I think you just said. Pretty much. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I would warn folks, I would say that during the day, most of these markets were fine. The one that was just still crazy was that biggest one because everybody's going there. And for Saturday afternoon or even a Friday evening, I mean, you expect it to be at its worst and it was tight. You know, so if you're planning to go for a trip, you know, factor that in that if you're going to go to this really big one, either go early or expect very, very dense crowds. So Trevor, are there other things that were memorable about Paris that might be worth sharing with our lovely listeners as they make their plans for Christmas 2023? You know, I think those are probably the biggest points. I found the markets to be more expensive in Paris compared to Germany. And then, you know, from a hotel perspective, the Park Hyatt Vendome and Park Hyatt's in general, just they know how to treat people, right? And particularly, they really know how to cater to families. We saw probably half a dozen families at breakfast and throughout the days that we were there and they really, you know, pull out the stops. They know how to make a family feel like they can enjoy their vacation. When we got there, the hotel sent up a pack and play, sent up a bottle warmer. Gosh, I think they even sent up one of those kind of child toilets, not realizing whether or not 
our daughter was, you know, in the process of toilet training. I mean, what hotel brings that level of detail to your room for you? That's the kind of experience that you can expect from the Park Hyatt Vendo. I guess the five-star kind. <laughs> I would almost call it a six-star, but maybe that's a little aggressive. Well, you know, you also wonder if, again, that time of the year, it's Christmas, you know, it's not like a lot of business is happening, you know, and during the holidays, at least not as much, at least not in some of these world capitals with the fancy five-star hotels. You know, I wonder if it, this is kind of where they're adjusting kind of to where the market is, you know, where, especially now post-pandemic, where business travel still not back yet. You know, you think some of these five-star hotels are are seeing a lot more family travel. I would agree with you there, but I wouldn't say it's seasonal because they brought a bunch of stuff for us when we were there in August as well. You know, had the little insert for the bathtub to, you know, for baths. I mean, they know how to treat families is, is the experience that I think I've had, you know, across two different stays at that particular hotel. So I guess after your tour of the markets in Paris, you made your way to another European capital, right? Yeah. So we ended up, and I mentioned we burned a bunch of points to do this, but we ended up flying from De Gaulle in Paris via Munich up to Berlin. And that's sort of where we spent the bulk of our time. The way we kind of broke this trip up is we had two nights in Paris, we had four nights in Berlin, four nights across two hotels in Austria, and then three nights in Prague. And the idea was, is that we get to Berlin and we could really kind of, you know, rebaseline, level set. German Christmas markets are really kind of lauded as the Christmas markets you know, in Europe. Now, there are a couple in in France that are are very well spoken about, Strasbourg in particular. But generally speaking to the people that that I know that have been to many more Christmas markets than I have, it's the German Christmas markets that really have that real great experience. And so we spent four nights there at the Grand Hyatt in Berlin, which is just about a, gosh, less than a five-minute walk from Potsdamer Platz, where they happen to have a small market, very convenient from the hotel, not a ton to see. They did have this sort of weird luge or, or ice ramp sort of thing that some people were going down, but it just didn't look terribly enticing. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. But you know that same experience of now you've got your brats, you've got your crepes. I think they did have a raclette offering. And then of course they had the mulled wine or glue vine. Yeah. sounds like you had a lot of good options in the Berlin Christmas markets. And you know, I think having been there actually with you, I think my only time being in Berlin actually happened to be on a a trip when we were traveling together back in 21, I think, right? Yeah. And that was the trip that sort of sold us on Berlin. It's just beautiful, very walkable city. It doesn't feel like things are that far away unless you kind of walk left when you need to walk right to go to the Checkpoint Charlie like we did the first time we were there. <laughs> I agree with you. It's a very walkable city, very nice. And I think you. this is a re- also a repeat visit to a Hyatt that uh, I think we also stayed at together at the Grand Hyatt Berlin, right? Was that the hotel you visited? It was. And it was an interesting experience there. They haven't reopened their lounge. So they just used the lobby bar, one of the lobby bars, I should say. It's almost like the lobby lounge as their place for the evening lounge activities, drinks, light food, and you know, just kind of being able to relax. This hotel also happens to host the Viking River Cruise groups. And so- Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. They even have a desk, or at least they had a desk when we were there this time with a Viking representative. So Hmm. it was abundantly clear that they had a lot of Viking people. And so much so that the second day we were there, not only did they offer breakfast in the restaurant, which the first day was borderline bonkers, it was very, very crowded. So they adapted for day two 
and proactively as we were walking from the elevator said, hey, if you'd like, you know, you can have breakfast here as well, the same area that they do the evening drinks in. We did not choose that because we wanted to have the full restaurant experience, but it resulted in a much more comfortable experience for breakfast because maybe a third of the people ended up going to that other lounge area instead. The other thing about it is even though they don't have a lounge, they still offered soft drinks and tea for the entire day in their main bar. Oh, it that's was interesting. Kinda, yeah. I don't, did they do that when we were there? I don't remember that. I don't remember seeing that. And if you didn't specifically read it, you wouldn't have known. And the bar staff weren't, shall we say, they were very attentive, but they didn't proactively say, hey, are you a club guest? Right, right. So, so they didn't necessarily offer or they didn't volunteer that information. You had to probably know about it. Exactly. Exactly. So we sat down one day for some tea and they brought some cookies for our daughter, which was really, really thoughtful. And then, you know, I kind of go to him and I'm like, Hey, you know, is there anything I need to clear out? And he's like, well, you need to pay for the tea. And I'm like, but I thought the club members got the tea included. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're good. So it was just one of those where know what your amenities are and be an advocate for yourself. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Know what you're entitled to. Exactly. So in Berlin, though, again, we were there longer, but we got to the same kind of five markets. We also did a hop-on, hop-off bus, which I would both recommend and not recommend at the same time. Well, it was was wintertime, wasn't it? So that seems to be one of the one of the negatives of, of doing hop-on, hop-off, I guess, in the middle of winter. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was really it because all the brochures indicate that you know, it's every 15 or 20 minutes. They have this additional bus that goes up to another of the palace, the Schloss Palace. And then in the summer, they even indicate that they have a boat option. Well, you know, come to find out after we took the bus all the way to where you'd get the second bus to the Schloss Palace, that because of staffing, they didn't have that bus available except for on the weekends. And oh, by the way, it's 30 to 45 minutes between buses. So, you know, is it a great experience to be able to get to some of the Christmas markets a little bit more conveniently without having to pay, you know, cabs each time? Yes. But don't believe the brochure when you're there off season. Yeah, I can see the, you know, some of the best times that I've enjoyed those hop on and hop off buses is mainly been in kind of high season tourist seasons in these locations where, you know, they come every 15 minutes or 10 minutes. And that makes it actually a very reasonable thing to take, you know, those hop on hop off buses. But I definitely will agree when they take 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah. The hop on hop off is not really the option there. You know, I will say it was really helpful though, because my mother-in-law, while she's, you know, fully mobile and everything, she walks with a cane. So we could walk a few miles with no problem walking a mile or two to get to a Christmas market and then walk a mile around in the Christmas market and then walk a couple miles back. She prefers not to do that. So the hop on hop off bus really worked in that regard because, you know, we had the flexibility to say, okay, let's just take the bus there. And then, you know, if she wanted to kind of break off, she could and take the bus back, which she did one time. And we ended up walking just because we had to stretch our legs. It was just one of those beautiful days where, you know, the weather was not what you'd expect in December. And we're like, we're going to enjoy the city. Yeah. I have a mother with mobility issues as well. And, you know, I think having that option of hop on, hop off in a lot of these cities is is great because, you know, it makes it easier to travel and tour the city when you have somebody that can't walk great distances. Yeah, absolutely. Probably just a couple of points on the markets, if I may. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> I am all ears. So there's a Gendeman Markt that is in a different location. It's ironic because- Can you say that again? I want to hear that again. I th- if I'm pronouncing it right, a Gendeman Markt. Whoa. 
Yeah, I'm assuming that's the right way to pronounce it. It's usually in this one particular plot, which actually when we were there in September 21, we actually sat down between these two beautiful churches and had a beverage. That oh, plot's, I remember that. That's where it was. Oh. Yeah. And that plot right now is under heavy reconstruction. I mean, the whole area is kind of closed off. I don't even know if you can get to the two churches. So they moved it over by the, I think there's a theater or a school, a theater school, I think. And that one is a charge to get in. That's the interesting thing. In Germany, there are a handful of markets that actually charge you just to enter the market. But if you got there before like 1 or 2 p.m., there was no charge. And this one had a couple of restaurants that you could actually sit down in. It had a number of beautiful, beautiful stalls, you know, to buy different handicrafts and stuff. In fact, I think my wife bought a wallet for her father there and then even had a champagne bar, which hmm. I'm still a little bit torn on the concept of champagne at a Christmas market. Is it Christmas champagne? No, no, it's just the normal stuff. Okay. I ended up having a glass of Veuve Clicquot. It was probably the priciest beverage that I had at a market, but it just felt like, you know, there's a champagne bar. You got to kind of give that a shot, but it was freezing. And, you know, the difference between having a nice ice cold beverage versus having a nice mulled wine is a big difference when it's 30 degrees Fahrenheit or less. Maybe that's some karma. I know you make a big deal about of having cold champagne, but, you know, I guess in this case... <laughs> You got what you normally wanted, but maybe it wasn't what you really wanted. Yes, yes. But I will say at that particular champagne bar, which was at the Gendemann Markt, they had some of the best Spetzel that we had the entire trip. We ended up going back another day to get Spetzel there because it was so fantastic. So I am not a German food expert, but can you explain to me what is Spetzel? So I I think the way I'd describe it is, is it's like a German pasta. Ah. I think it's a German potato pasta. It essentially looks like you know, kind of, yeah, it's just a little pasta. They throw some cheese on it. They throw some bacon on it. Not really, you know, melt a little bit of the cheese rather than having a sauce on it. And it's very right. good. You're going to have to stop. I think you're going to start hearing my stomach grumble so very soon. <laughs> but I do want to know, how much was it to enter the market like normally, like when they were charging for fees? What was the entry fee? I think it was a euro or okay. I think it was one or two euro person. So, so pretty trivial. Trivial, yes. But for me, I was sort of like, well, we're more go out during the day versus the evening anyway. So we just padded our schedule to get there before they started. And really it ended up being a lot better because you had a lot of the vibe from other people who didn't want to pay, I assume. And so it wasn't like a dead market. It was, it was nice and lively. Great. So I guess, yeah. So when it's free, it's a little bit more popular maybe. Yeah. But there were a bunch of other nice markets in the city. So the way that Berlin sort of is, is you've got this kind of main area of the city you know, near the Brandenburg Gate, Potsdamer Platz, all the way up to the Red City Hall. And they've got markets. There's a market at Red City Hall. There's a market just on the other side of the train station at Alexander Platz. And this Gendemann Markt is just, you know, a couple of blocks away from those two. And then there's another area that has, you know, kind of the tonier, like the Fifth Avenue type stores. And that's over by the zoo. And they had a market over there that was actually also very nice. We ended up finding potato pancakes. You do potato pancakes with applesauce. You know, there's nothing more enjoyable than that other than perhaps, you know, a brat. But to find those good potato pancakes at these markets is a find. You really do want to hear my stomach rumble, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so for the listeners, I'm just curious, is there anything else that was really like spectacular or unique to the German Christmas markets that kind of, you know, you won't see anywhere else? I don't know if I'd say you won't see it anywhere else, but the market over by the Red City Hall had an ice skating rink, 
which was pretty cool. They had, you know, just a nice vibe. You've got ice skating, you've got folks that are kind of, you know, just enjoying themselves. The food kind of varied, but, you know, you always saw brats, you always saw the glue vine. The one thing that struck me, though, in my research was not every market is open every day, at least in Berlin. And I mean, it's probably other places as well. But in some cases in Berlin, they'll even have markets that only open for a few days in the entire, you know, Advent season. So it sounds like you should probably do a little bit of research and, and make sure that the place you want you're intending to go is actually open. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Especially in Berlin. Great. Well, that's a good tip. But it does sound like probably the one thing that was in abundance was Christmas spirit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the Germans are just wonderful people. The fun thing about the Christmas markets is it's just that general vibe. So, you know, you get your glue vine. And they either have long tables or they have, you know, kind of decent sized square tables. And it's not, hey, I, you know, this is just my space and, and this is my table and only my table. No, it, you know, you've got that camaraderie where if there's an open space, somebody's coming over and they're going to, you know, enjoy their beverage as well. And when that happens, you end up talking. And so you end up chatting with, uh, we, we chatted with some Berlin locals. We chatted with some folks that were traveling from Singapore. It just makes for a fun experience if you're open to that sort of thing. Sounds great. So I guess Berlin wasn't the only Germanic city that you visited. I guess there was probably at least one other. Yeah. So we left Berlin and, and we flew down to Vienna. We were going to spend Christmas in Vienna regardless, but we ended up changing our orientation a little bit and ended up going down to Vienna a day early so we could go to the Park Hyatt Vienna. We had never stayed at the Park Hyatt Vienna, but we knew that area. Wait, wait, wait a second. You've never stayed at the Park Hyatt Vienna? Well, I mean, as of a month ago, yeah. How many times had you been to Vienna? Three or four. Okay. Yeah. Every time we've stayed in Vienna, one time we stayed at the Moxie over by the airport. I do not recommend that. And then every other time we stayed at the Andaz Vienna um, Belvedere. Hmm. Got it. So I had just gotten a Cat 7 cert, used that 25,000 points for my mother-in-law's room, and it was worth every point. They've got a market that's right outside the hotel, and it is a great vibe. Even the night we were there, it started raining at one point and people were still all just, you know, happy to be there and just in a generally very great vibe mood. There's probably about five markets that are less than a 10 minute walk away from the Park Hyatt Vienna. It's just simply fantastic from that perspective. The food at the market, it's the Amhof market is right outside the Park Hyatt Vienna is just fantastic. We found some goulash there in bread bowls, which was, you know, kind of a nice kind of new thing for us to eat after having a whole bunch of brats and stuff. Found potato pancakes. I don't know if I saw a raclette there. Goulash is, what is that? Is that Hungarian? It's not Viennese, right? It is not Viennese, but in Vienna, we saw it on the menu a fair amount of times. Interesting. Yeah. Well, but it sounds like, long story short, it sounds like Park Hyatt, Vienna, excellent location. And were you able to book that pretty close in? We booked that, I want to say it was like a week, maybe 10 days out and had no problem burning a cert, getting a second room, even upgraded us, which was very nice. We were there, I want to say we were there on the 22nd of December. So I think that was a Thursday night. So that might've been, you know, contributing to that. Mm -hmm. And again, they cater to children wonderfully. The buffet in the, uh, for breakfast was wonderful. They even had sparkling wine at breakfast and just overall, you know, a nice menu that you could order a la carte as well. The true Park Hyatt experience that you expect is alive and well at the Park Hyatt Vienna. I definitely have it on my list to try. I mean, I if there is a Park Hyatt in the city it's it, that I haven't been to, you know, definitely would like to got to catch them all, right? Yeah. And the cool part of this one is it's built in a bank. And so as the front desk associate who escorted us to our rooms was explaining, 
she said, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? So the higher floors are actually less desirable rooms. You might have a better view, but all the offices for the bigwigs at the bank were on like the third and fourth floor. This must have been an older building, right? Maybe this was before, was it maybe before a lot of elevators and things like that or? You know, I suspect, but they did have uh, at least, they had three elevators that were usable for guests. In fact, two of the elevators didn't even go all the way, or one of the elevators didn't go all the way to the fifth floor just because, you know, style of the building and everything. But the front desk associate had said they didn't really have very much ability to change around the floor plan of the bank to make it a hotel. It must have been a historic building, perhaps. I think so. I don't want to speak out of school because I did not research that, but I just remember it was a bank. You know, the restaurant's in a vault, sort of. It's just a fantastic experience. Awesome. Well, that wasn't the only Hyatt that you stayed in 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 Vienna, if I'm not mistaken. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the other one? Yeah. So this was the centerpiece of the trip. The Vienna Am Belvedere is right by the Wien, uh, the Vienna HBF, which is their train station. It is about a five to eight minute walk from the Belvedere Palace, which is gorgeous. And it is a place that was firm in my wife and my heart because we had spent probably about two and a half, three, maybe a little over three weeks at this hotel previously over a couple of different trips. And so we knew the hotel well enough. We wanted to be there. We knew the location was good. And we knew we weren't going to be able to, 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 to burn the amount of points necessary to, to have a similar experience at the Park Hyatt. And so when we originally booked this a year out, just about 12 months ago, we had negotiated through our Hyatt concierge. We negotiated with the hotel, said, hey, we know that you've got better rooms available than what you usually book your premium, your suite upgrades into, et cetera, et cetera. And we'd like some more room because originally we thought this trip was going to include my brother and his whole family of five. And so we wanted to have a space where we could all congregate comfortably, you know, realizing that we were going to have, you know, a toddler with us and, you know, kids between, gosh, I think 13 and, and 20. So you had a reason to splurge, huh? We did. Unfortunately, brother and family didn't make it, but we still ended up in this beautiful executive suite. I think it was 1,100 square meters. Oh, 1,100 square meters, not feet. I believe that's the case. Now you're making me question this. But I, <laughs> I, I remember, so my wife's aunt joined us as well, and she said that our room was bigger than her home in Southern France, I think, or very close to bigger. <laughs> so it, it was a sizable, very sizable room. It was second biggest in the, in the entire hotel. And so you're telling me it was a big room. Yeah. 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 Telling you it was a big room. <laughs> Beautiful view of the palace. I mean, it was one of those things where you had, you're on the corner looking at, I could see St. Stephen's church, which there's another Christmas market at, which is only a five minute walk from the park Hyatt. I could see that out of our, you know, from our living room <laughs> as well as the Belvedere palace and everything. It was fantastic. How did we do that? It might also be interesting for our listeners. Probably should have let you ask that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go the direction of, I, I assume that this was a, a room that had a dining table, which I know is not often the case when one stays in a hotel. Yes. So this room did have the, have a dining table. And in fact, it was very helpful because we couldn't get reservations for Christmas Eve dinner, which apparently is harder to find in Vienna because it's a bigger deal to go out for Christmas Eve than it is to go for Christmas dinner. We're learning some culture about Viennese culture here on, on the Travel Stories podcast here. <laughs> So we ended up having room service brought up and everything worked out pretty well. It was a lot more comfortable, really. In fact, they even brought up a child high chair. So we had the kind of restaurant experience in the comfort of our room. That sounds nice. So now I'm going to ask, so how does one pay for something like this? 
So I had mentioned that we had worked with our Hyatt concierge and I did one of those things that, that I don't always do. I reached out to her. I said, Hey, is there a way we can get on the phone for like an hour or two? I got a big trip I want to book and I just want to, you know, knock it all out at once if we can. Wow. You actually got to hear the voice of your concierge. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever talked to my Hyatt concierge. Oh yeah. I talked to her at least once a quarter nowadays. Oh, interesting. And so we spent, you know, roughly probably an hour and a half booking everything that we could, you know, that was available at that time. And then we talked about strategies for the uh, executive suite. And she's like, well, we can do a points booking at 45,000 points for three nights. And then we can apply a suite upgrade. And she had to call them to confirm the suite upgrade anyway. And so when she did that, she talked to probably the rooms manager and said, hey, so they really want the executive suite, like name the room by the category. There's only two executive suites, you know, by name. And so they came back and said, or the way that she heard it was we can do 45,000 points for the award, suite upgrade, and then 350 euros per night. Now that's steep. It ended up changing a little bit when she called back to confirm it. And he said, oh no, I meant a premium award. So that would have been 90,000 points plus a suite upgrade plus 350 euros. And that was a little bit more steep. And so she ended up transferring 45,000 Hyatt points into our account because that was not what the original agreement had sounded to her or me for that matter. That was quite the customer recovery uh, gesture, wasn't it? It really was. And I didn't even ask. She just proactively said, you and I both heard the same thing. I'm just going to make this right. Yep. It's the right thing to do. And, you know, for those listeners, you know, who are wondering, you know, the Hyatt concierge, that's one of the benefits of staying 60 nights in the in the Hyatt program. You get that. You can be a globalist without one, but it probably does make sense to kind of go that final last little bit up to 60 nights to be able to get not only the cat one through seven cert, but the to get the Hyatt concierge service as well. Absolutely. And a lot of people will say your mileage may vary. But in my experience, if you put in the time and you know talk to folks, it's a lot easier for you to get a better experience overall. I'm not saying it changes you know, how Hyatt concierges do customer service, but here I was willing to set aside an hour or two hours of my day to just walk through all this stuff and scheduled it you know, respectful of her schedule as well. And you get a great outcome. Yep. Sometimes you just got to pick up the phone, right? Exactly. We love to shoot a message or an email or all that other stuff, but sometimes, you know, actually talking to people makes a difference. Sounds like it worked for you. And and in this case, your mileage did go quite a bit longer than other people, maybe. I'd say, I mean, in hindsight, would I have done the 350 euros additional if I knew we weren't going to have five additional people? You know, I might've still done it because it made it special for Christmas day and the Christmas holiday. Well, it sounds like either way, it was money well spent because it was a memorable trip, memorable visit to the hotel, and a memorable meal for that matter. Absolutely. And and the hotel itself, breakfast is fantastic. Probably some of the best apple juice that you'll ever find at this particular hotel. Great breakfast entrees. Christmas morning, they were bringing out glasses of Prosecco, which was you know just a nice little touch. It wasn't an everyday thing, but they had it for Christmas Day. And again, you know, convenient if you're, you know, Vienna is one of those cities where you might not end up spending the, your entire time in, in Vienna, right? And being so close, less than, less than five minutes away from the train station, you could be in Bratislava in like an hour and a half. We ended up doing the train to Prague and we were there in four hours. You could be up to Brno in an hour, Budapest, so many other places connected very closely by train to Vienna. Sounds like you're a citizen of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. <laughs> 
just a final point, I guess, because I didn't really speak too much to the, or we didn't really talk too much about the markets. There were a number of nice markets, like I said, over in that Park Hyatt Vienna area. The Amhof is right outside the Park Hyatt's doors. Wonderful. Alt Vienna was a couple of blocks farther away from St. Stephen's Church. St. Stephen's had a market that went around, I would say, probably about three quarters of the way around the church, which was nice. It was very, very popular because it's in, in, in the walking part of the city, which is you know a more popular area. They have the Rathausplatz, if I pronounce it right, by the city hall with a two-story carousel, which was absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I don't think I've ever seen a two-story carousel. I will dig up a picture and send it to you. Oh. It was beautiful. We were there in the morning, so there weren't a lot of people on it, but it, 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 it looked really nice. And then there were markets at both ends of the Imperial Palace, which was a cool experience. And then on Christmas Eve, we went to the Schonberg Palace, which was pretty popular, really nice. And they ended up doing a concert. They had a, they had a stage there. And some of the Christmas markets do have stages. This was one of those where we didn't see a whole lot of live music, but we did, we did see the live music at that Schonberg Palace. Was it pop music or Christmas music? What, what, what was it? It was Christmas music. Okay. Yeah. There were some strings. I don't remember if I saw any drums. I think it was mostly strings and it might have been a flute or trumpet there. Did you recognize most of the Christmas music or is there like special Viennese Christmas music? Oh, no, no, no. You recognize the music. And I'm sorry to say, but Mariah Carey is even in Europe. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of Mariah fans in Vienna. I'm sure as well. One last note, because we didn't really talk too much about food in Vienna. In Vienna, one of the specialties they have is a bratwurst that has cheese in the center of it. It is an interesting taste. My wife and her aunt really loved it. I had one and I said, eh, it's a little too much for me. But it's perhaps the unique thing that Viennese Christmas markets have. Got it. Cheese dogs. Not like what you think. I mean, we're talking about a really small... I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> Speaking of which, for those of you who are, who are now exhausted by Trevor's German accent, we can now finally leave the Germanic countries, I think, to our final city on this trip. I'm going to say Pragui. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about we call it Praha, which is what they call it, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. We're talking about Prague here. So we took a train. Now there's a really cool train that services Vienna and a number of Chechia, Czech cities, and even Bratislava, a couple other places. And it's called RegioJet. And it is cheap. We spent, I think, less than $100 because I was looking at my credit card statement to confirm. And we got three seats. They assign a seat for the infant. And those essentially four seats were in a private car, you know, with a door. They give you either a Prosecco or an orange juice right when you get on board. Well, after you just pull out of the station. And then they have service that they come by so you don't have to go to the, to the dining cart. And for a four-hour train ride, to have your own personal space is very convenient. Was that the highest class of service on this train? I think it was, yes. And it was not that much more than, this was business class with the private area. And then you could do a regular business class, which was essentially the same seat. You just didn't have the private area. Got and it. then they had, I think, two other classes of service. The cheapest was, you know, in the teens, I think. It sounds like a really good rail value. Oh, absolutely. And it was magnitudes less than, I think, the OBB is the other train provider. Mm-hmm. But you did do one thing. You, you cheated on Hyatt. We did. We did. And had I known that the Andaz was as close to the old city as it really looks like it is, or really was, 
I might have stayed at the Andes, but we chose the Hilton Old City for two reasons. One, it's right across the street from the Marriott Old City, which which is where we had stayed the last time. And two, we had a bunch of Hilton Aspire certs that were expiring on us. I think that's my number one reason to stay at Hilton. (laughs) Expiring certificates. I suspect that's the number one reason for a lot of our listeners. I think it's a big driver. It was not an incredible value. So for one room, we had the free night certs. And then for the other room, it was 150,000 points for three nights. So we got 50,000 points for a free night cert that probably didn't cost us a whole lot, you know, when you factor in all the other benefits. And we had diamond status for both rooms. What were the cash rates going for the, those rooms? Do you recall? Oh, gosh. You're putting me on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> what is the normal Hilton point value? Is that 0.66 cents? Now you're putting me on the spot. Good job. Touche. <laughs> No, the reason that I say that, it was either $1,000 or $2,000. Really? For three nights, it was either $1,000 or $2,000. And the calculation was whatever that valuation that can't remember what site I happened to look at that offered a valuation for Hilton points. And it was that like to the 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 euro cent. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was astonishing at how close that was. And I had originally had the cash rate and I said, you know what? I'd rather have the money because we were coming back from a trip. We weren't going to do a whole lot of travel. If I needed to replenish 150,000 points, we could just do it. Cash is king. Exactly. And so the reason we chose that old city was because there's a market that ironically enough disappeared between the night we got there and the following morning, but it's you know two blocks away. And then it's only about a 10, 15 minute walk to the main square in Prague, which has a beautiful market. They had some live entertainment. Just a a very nice general area. Hilton had a a lounge. We got there late. The front desk agent proactively offered us six free drinks at the bar because we had gotten there late and we missed the evening drinks at the lounge. So, you know, really good at the service recovery. And it wasn't even a recovery. Nice location. They could not deal with the, the just deluge of people. Breakfast was haphazard. Didn't even have seats at breakfast the second day. They ended up you know, pushing us up to the lounge because they were like, we're not going to be able to seat you before breakfast ends. That is the interesting thing about Europe, you know, thinking about it. You know, I do find that with my hotel stays in Europe, the percentage of guests taking their breakfast in the hotel restaurant or getting their breakfast included in the rate that they stay at, you know, it seems to be much higher than pretty much almost anywhere else in the world, it feels like. So, you know, you go down to these breakfasts and pretty much you're dealing with the entire hotel that's joining you, right, for the same meal. It's true. It's true. But different hotels are able to react differently. And unfortunately, that's probably that and the lack of ability to regulate temperature at the Hilton, Old City Prague, were the probably the two biggest detriments to that hotel. Oh, that's a shame. Was too cold, too hot? Oh, it was too hot. Oh. You just could not get that temperature down. Both rooms, we tried everything with the thermostat and it's not even like, you know, it doesn't even have like numbers on it. It's just got like marks. So, like, you, you know, you go all the way right <laughs> or you go all the way left. Nothing made it better. But those are small first world problems. The reality is, is, you know, you're in a, a beautiful city with, you know, a beautiful vibe. I'm kind of dizzy just thinking about this trip with all the different cities that you visited, all the different European capitals and Christmas markets and Hyatts and Hiltons. And I think just calculating the numbers from all the points is 
a little bit of an exercise in in large numbers. But it sounds like you had a great time. It sounds like your family it had you made a lot of new memories and had a lot of great experiences. So for that, my friend, I'm very jealous. I don't think I've ever had a, a trip to Europe with quite that many cities involved. Yeah, and the interesting thing was it was it was actually doable. I mean, had we planned ahead, we could have done it a whole lot more efficiently and you know, could we have done a little bit more by train? Absolutely. But when you do a multi-generational trip like this and you come back and you've survived, it's kind of a nice feeling to be able to say that, you know, you were able to kind of piece all these different pieces of the puzzle together. And a two-week trip, that's not a small feat. I think the complications or the extra effort you need to make when you're dealing with, what, a 14-month-old and a much older person, you know, I think it's definitely adds some complexity to your travel plans and you seem to manage to survive. So congratulations. Thank you. And I guess my biggest hope, and I hope our listeners will, you know, give us some feedback here, is that this can kind of make those Christmas markets more achievable for folks. I don't remember Christmas markets weighing as heavily when I was a kid. I just happened to see something that Chicago even had a Christmas market and Baltimore has one nowadays. But the Christmas markets in Europe are so beautiful and they're really doable with a little bit of planning ahead. You definitely feel like you're now a uh, Christmas market expert. You know, you've been to uh, quite a few more than I have, but you definitely have made the case for them. And I'm very interested in hopefully catching a few of those markets, maybe not quite as many as you went to, but. Next time I'm in Europe, hopefully it'll be in Christmas and I can enjoy some of these wonderful places that you described today. Well, plenty of opportunity. Great. Well, that's the show. Thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoyed listening. Join us next time on Travel Stories. Until then, we hope your next story is a travel story. Travel Stories.